All right. <clears throat> Gonna make the coffee extra strong next time. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Hey, there they are. All right, amen. So thank you for being here this morning. I'm uh, excited to see all of you, as always. I'm even more excited to be preaching through this series. Um, it's going to be a little longer. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the doctrine of baptisms. And I wrote baptisms because that's exactly how it's written in Hebrews 6. Um, I was hoping to do each one of these top topics one a week. This one, it looks like we're going to be splitting up into two weeks. Otherwise, we'd be here for about an hour. And I wanted to let you all get home a little earlier. <clears throat> so um, we're going to be starting just covering uh, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 again. And then we'll be jumping off probably straight into Matthew chapter 3 if you want to get those places marked. But before we begin, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you pour out into our lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Father, um, which is infinite towards us, Father. We know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Father, I pray that you would fill us with new life this morning. You'd fill us with faith, fill us with awe of who you are, and that we would grow in wisdom, Father, wisdom and knowledge to do your will and to do all things that please you. And so just open our hearts and our minds to your word to receive it, Father, and I pray that you would speak, Father, through me in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so starting in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of, and he lists out these elementary principles, the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So before we can move on to maturity, before we can even understand anything else in Scripture, any, any greater things of God, if you want to word it that way, even though it's probably a, not the best way to word it, um, we have to have these things set. These things set. And <clears throat> there's a lot of struggle today, I'm sure you're all aware, in theology and doctrines and denominations on who believes what and why. There's a lot of differences and struggles. And really, a lot of that comes from the fact that the foundation had not been laid well for New Testament theology. Because everything has to, ha that we build, everything in our, our life of faith has to be built on the foundation of Christ and the work that he has done. And if we understand that strong foundation, then it's very easy to understand the rest of theology because it either matches those foundational principles or it doesn't. And a lot of, a lot of the things that churches will fight over and a lot of these things that are being taught today, when you look at the foundational principles of, of the faith, that everything is supposed to rise out of, it so clearly contradicts those issues. But because we're not settled in those issues, it causes trouble in our life. And if we don't have the love and the goodness and the character of God in his working settled in our heart, then there's an open door for Satan to come in and to pull us in every different direction. So this is very important. So last week we covered the first principle, which was repentance from dead works and faith towards God. You know an easier way to say that? The gospel. And in all reality, 
every point that we're about to talk, to, talk about is part of the gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not believe and you're saved. That's part of the good news. The good news is that he has a new life for you here now. The good news is that he is with you even to the end of the age. The good news is that he has given you his Holy Spirit to empower you to serve him. The good news is that when you die, you're going to live. The good news is that when you live again, you're going to live again with him forever. It is all-encompassing. And so all of these points that we're going to cover out of Matthew, I'm sorry, out of Hebrews chapter 6, it, it is just rounding off our understanding of what the gospel truly is. And immediately, um, uh, one of the more immediate things concerning the gospel and the receiving of the gospel is that of baptism, right? Baptism. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to help you have a very strong understanding of what baptism is today. So first of all, before we talk about this, <clears throat> what does baptism even mean? The word baptism, it's kind of a weird word. It's actually not even really translated. Um, <laughs> we kind of just stuck with that as a Christian church. So in Greek, it's baptismo, right? And it literally means submerged, okay? So if you jump in a big pool of pudding, you just got baptized in pudding. There it is, right? You're submerged. I'd, I'd be all right with that. And it's a very simple word. Um, from my understanding, the only reason we didn't translate that is because when the King James Version Bible was being made, Old King James wasn't baptized. He was sprinkled as a, as a Catholic. And uh, the translators, I don't think, wanted their heads cut off for causing an issue there. And so they just put bap baptized. That's my understanding of, of that history. Maybe it's, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> you can look it up. But that's, that's really not that important. The important thing is baptismo means submerged. However, <clears throat> the next thing that I think is really important to understand about baptism is its origins its origins. So just like most other things that we, we find when we, when we read through the scriptures, just like pretty much everything else in the New Testament, baptism does not originate in the New Testament. This is actually a continuation or fulfillment of things that were already happening, happening in Israel, in Judaism, in the Old Testament times, okay? And so baptism is actually a cleansing rite. Everybody say cleansing rite. Okay, and so there were several cleansing rites in Israel. There were a lot of ways that, that this would happen, and they were to be administered by a priest. Interesting fact, John the Baptist, do you know who his father was? Zechariah, the priest. You know what that makes John the Baptist? A priest. Yeah. What is a priest? Someone say a preacher. A preacher's got Baptist kids. Oh, gosh. Don't go there. <clears throat> trying to bring unity. Um, so John the Baptist actually had every right to, in the Old Testament covenant in the land of Israel to perform these cleansing rites, okay? And in fact, some, some commentators will try to argue that in Hebrews chapter 6, instead of the doctrine of baptisms, it should be translated doctrine of, of um, cleansing rites, which I don't, I don't agree with for various reasons. But so <clears throat> I want to give you a little overview overview of just some of the cleansing rites in, in um, the Old Testament. So when we talk about the terms clean and unclean, anybody familiar with that? Is anybody not really familiar with that terms? So I know. Okay, so clean and unclean. So there were animals that were unclean. If you ate them, if you touched them, you became unclean. 
If you touched a dead carcass, you became unclean. If you had sexual relationships, you became unclean for a certain time, and you had to wash, and you do, do these things. And clean and unclean <clears throat> basically was just a description of your ability to come before the presence of the Lord. Okay? It was a status of worship, really, that God is holy and pure and undefiled. And so you, being undefiled, cannot come into his presence. And so in order to address that situation, there would be um, different prescriptions for different things. There would be sprinkling of blood. There would be washing of water, right? There would be time periods you would have to wait, and then you would be called clean. And if you, and if you tried to come in and worship the Lord unclean, man, that was an issue, okay? That was a big issue. And so in Leviticus chapter 16, we see basically baptisms in the fact that as the priests went to serve in the temple, before they could serve the Lord, before they could offer sacrifices, they had to wash themselves. They had to wash their, they have clean priestly garments. They had to change into fresh clothes. They had to go serve. And then they had to change out of those clothes, wash their clothes, wash themselves again, and then get into regular clothes. And it was in a sense a baptism. It was a cleansing of them. Okay, so that they could come in before the presence of the Lord. If, uh, on another account, <clears throat> if someone got leprosy, right, the disease, they were unclean. Therefore, not only could they not come into the temple, well, they would make other people unclean. So they had to be cut off from their people, from the people in the dwelling place of God. They were put outside. Not only could they not go into the temple, they couldn't even be part of his gathering, Okay, of the, uh, well, I don't want to confuse it. I was going to say kind of like a church, but let's not confuse those things. Um, so they would be put outside the camp and they would live alone. But there is prescription in the law that if they were miraculously cleansed of their leprosy, which by the way, who's the only, buddy, only person who could, who could do that? The Lord, right? God, right? Yahweh, Jesus, he's the only one who has the power to clear, cleanse a leper from his leprosy. It's not like they went out and did jumping jacks, backflips, ate some like yerba root or something, I don't know, and got cleansed. No, 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 it would be, have to be an act of God. But in the case that someone was cleansed of leprosy, they would call for a priest. A priest would come out and they would examine this man head to toe to see, is the leprosy gone? Is their condition healed? That was the issue. Is their condition healed? And if their condition was healed, the priest would acknowledge that. He would wash them with water, and then they would be welcomed into the camp. And they would once again be unified with God's people and be able to come and worship before the Lord. And they would be made clean. Now, did the water and the washing of the priest, did that make that man clean? No, it didn't make him clean. The Lord made him clean. The washing of the water was, was a, a visible picture to paint this issue. And the priest examining him and, and doing this showed the people that there was an announcement, that there was an acknowledgement of this healing that had happened. Okay? Now, does anybody know what the Bible uses leprosy to picture? Sin. Sin. You think maybe the Lord was trying to make a point? Hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. The final thing, <clears throat> if, if people wanted to come into Israel, if you were a Gentile, 
and you wanted to serve the only true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you couldn't just waltz in and buy a house and just start living in Israel. It didn't work that way, okay? You're not a Jew. If you wanted to, you had to come in. You had to obviously announce your desire to do that, okay? You had to repent from whatever lifestyle those pagans that you grew up with lived, whatever idol worship you used to do, okay, whatever fornication, immorality, whatever witchcraft that you might have, you have to repent of all of that. You have to confess the living God, and then you would have to be circumcised. If you were a man, you'd have to be washed, and then that was a sign that you were going to live your life in accordance to, at that time, the law of God, okay? So it wasn't just like a little passport check. Oh, I'll just dump some water on you. You're good to go. No, no, no. It was a, it was a statement that, hey, I, this, is, this is my first act of surrender and obedience to mark that the rest of my life I'm going to live as a faithful servant of Yahweh, okay? And to this day, the Jewish culture, if you want to proselyte into Judaism, that's part of their practice. You, you have to be basically baptized in a sense. Um, sometimes they do some weird stuff, I heard, but whatever. <laughs> More or less. <clears throat> and so when we come into the New Testament, and Pastor Mark was, was reading, um, where were you reading from again? Isaiah 40, that's what it was. He was reading in Isaiah 40, and it's talking about the one in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. Do you know who that man was that fulfilled that prophecy that was like 1,600 or 700, I'm sorry, 700 years before? John the Baptist. He was the prophet crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. He was the one, Jesus' own cousin, to say this. And so he's out in the river, he's in the Jordan, and he's calling all of Israel to repent from their sins and to come to confess their sins. That was part of the baptism to confess their sins and that he was examining their repentance and he was washing them in this, in this cleansing rite. It was a baptism unto repentance so that they would be making their hearts ready to receive the Messiah and the salvation to come. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? So this is where we pick up in Matthew chapter 3. And cha- Matthew chapter 3 verses 4 through 12 is very pivotal because it actually lists all the baptisms right there. Um, I'm going to argue that there are three that the scripture lists, and we're going to see them right here. Now, we're only going to talk about the first one today. We'll save the next two for tomorrow. But in Matthew chapter 3, verses 4 through 12, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Why? Because he's proclaiming judgment. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized, submerged in the water by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So you see, he's doing his job as a priest. He knows their hearts and that they are not cleansed of their spiritual impurity. They might be well physically, but in their hearts and their spirits, they're still still lepers. And so he actually rejects their baptism. 
And now, and even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And here we're going to see these three things listed here from 11 to 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So that's the first baptism, water unto repentance. But he is come, who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He, talking about Jesus, will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he gives a parallel. He gives an example of what these two things are. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay? So like I said, we're going to save those second two for next week, but we're going to talk about this, the first one. The first of the three baptisms that John the Baptist lists here is the bapt- baptism of water unto repentance. Okay? And this is, this is really, guys, this is our first step in obedience to Jesus, and it's very important. When I first started learning what's called T for T, and I didn't learn all of it, I just basically went to a meeting, I learned how to share my testimony and the gospel in 60 seconds, and it like changed my life, because then like, I never had an excuse not to share the gospel, so I was just like, bam, 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 you know what I mean? And there was all these people saying prayers and giving their life to the Lord, and yada, 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 and like half of those people I never saw again, because we were just in passing, you know? And then a lot of those people I would try to follow up with, and they wouldn't answer back. Or when we, you know, they were willing to say a prayer, but then when we said, okay, well, hey, we got to get baptized. You got to get dunked in water. It's not very hard, right? Suddenly there was a, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why is that such a big deal? And I, I begin to realize that if someone is willing to say a prayer, man, almost anybody's willing to say a prayer. Say, oh, Lord, forgive me, you know, save my life, yada, 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 yada. That doesn't, if that's not a truth and a reality of their heart, if the Holy Spirit hasn't given someone new life and dealt with the spiritual leprosy that, that is inside of them, that prayer means nothing. Let's say, let's say one of these lepers, they came up and the priest didn't check them. And just, oh, you're, you're healed. And he's got long, you know, all he can see is his face. Yeah, I'm healed. You know what I mean? His like thighs are falling apart. And like has no idea, right? And he's like, okay, well, let me just wash you real quick. Okay, you're good to go. Did that washing do anything for that leper? Is he still a leper? Is he still unclean? Is he still causing uncleanness to enter into the camp of the Lord? Absolutely. Baptism itself as a physical act does nothing for us. Baptism does not save anybody. Baptism is an expression of a healing and a new life that Jesus has granted to somebody. And that by granting it, we, the obedience that comes from faith, as it says in Romans 1, 4 through 5, we have the opportunity to stand before God, to stand before the congregation and say, yes, My eyes have been opened. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt me. Yes, my heart is made new. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God in flesh. And I am right now repenting from my old ways, right? Just like in the Old Testament. And I am gonna take this baptism as my first sign of surrender and obedience to all of Jesus' commands. And that's why when we do baptism, I just mean here, it's not like a universal law or anything, but we walk through the Great Commission, so that there's an understanding and a confession of like, hey, this is what it looks like to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach to obey all of my commandments. 
It's a pretty important part. And so baptism becomes really the first step of obedience to Jesus, the first step of surrender. And I think there is something spiritually that, that maybe opens us up to the Lord in that act. Jesus says, if you confess me before your peers, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before your peers, I will deny you before my Father. Jesus is not the priest who doesn't see the leprosy. Jesus sees all things. So part of this baptism is, um, it's a clear conscience before God. It's an acknowledgement from us and an acknowledgement to us that the work of Jesus Christ was really done and it was really enough for our sins forever. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, Peter writes, <clears throat> there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. And then look what he says, he says, look, not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. It's an answer of a good conscience towards God that you understand, wow, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I could do. I'm repenting from dead works, from any attempt to create justification from my own ability, and I am turning to faith towards God in Jesus Christ, and I am declaring and accepting that this is now my life. And as you go into that water, and you, your conscience is clean, and that, that cleansing, it's, it's a right that's, that, um, that pictures that, right? And you can, can confidently say, no, I am a follower of Jesus. I have confessed, I have been baptized, and I'm on my way to service. And there's something freeing, there's something supernaturally strengthening about that act. So it's an answer of a clear conscience, Okay, it's a picture of inner healing that Jesus has done, that he's taken away our sins and he's given us new life. But it's also, <clears throat> it's also an image, um, another image. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, it says this. Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we become one body with him. We're submerged in the person of Christ through his Holy Spirit. That's pretty sweet. Let me talk about that next week. <clears throat> uh, you were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So the last part of baptism is it's a, it's a confirmation of the healing that Jesus has done. It's a confession unto a clear conscience, but it's also a picture to us and to the world. The Bible, and I'm not gonna go into because it'll take too long, but I'll paraphrase it. The Bible lists um, the flood as a type of baptism. It lists Moses going through the Red Sea as a type of baptism. Do you know why? Because at that water being poured out, Noah was proclaiming the righteousness of God. All of those people could have got on the boat if they wanted to. None of them wanted to. So they got on and God closed the door and the floods came. Well, Noah and his family were saved through the water. So the water to them was salvation. It was cleansing. The water to the rest of the world was judgment. And it was judgment due. The same thing for Moses. 
the waters split and the people passed through the water. And for them, it was salvation. To the world that tried to follow, to, to Pharaoh's armies who tried to follow, it was judgment. And so for, for us, when we enter into bab, uh, a baptism, we are proclaiming the judgment of sin to the world and to ourselves, that we ourselves are condemned in our flesh. That is true. It is a fact. No one escapes that. Therefore, what are we going to do? We're going to bury our flesh in Christ, and we're going to come back up as spiritual beings. And we're going to know that just as Christ is raised, his power is going to raise us as well. Because it's a life lived in faith, not in works. And that is the beauty of baptism. And so like I told you, as I used to share, and people would, oh, yeah, I'll say a prayer, and then they wouldn't. I started adding to the Romans Road, if you've ever heard that. It's just a series of verses. At the end of the Romans Road, I always quote Mark 16, 16. These are Jesus' words. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, it's very interesting. Jesus ties baptism to salvation. He doesn't necessarily tie the lack of baptism to condemnation. Well, how, how does that work? Well, we look at the man on the cross next to Jesus. Lord, remember me in your kingdom. <laughs> I'm not crying, you're crying. And Jesus says, assuredly today, you will be with me in paradise. That healing, the salvation of Jesus Christ had came to that man already. He never got off that cross alive. There was no baptism in his future. But the, the work had been done. And I guarantee you, if he could have got off that cross, you know the first thing he would have done? He would have got baptized. The, the, I've, I've had someone tell me, they were so distraught. There was a group, they were at church. There was an older elderly woman who gave her life to the Lord. And then she, they scheduled a baptism, you know, weeks later or whatever. Well, she passed away before that happened. And the small group was just so distraught that little old Susie wasn't going to heaven because she didn't get baptized. That's a false theology, okay? The baptism, there's not a cleansing. That The Lord has her. But for us who are able and there is no excuse, there is no excuse. And if anyone is willing to say a prayer but not willing to obey, there's an issue. Because if they truly have the Holy Spirit, the new covenant says, I will give them my spirit and I will cause them to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel, was that 36, 36, 24, 26? I will cause them. If the Holy Spirit is in us, he will prompt us to lay our lives down and to profess the name of Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's number one job. Amen? Amen. Guys, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for a time um, a fellowship, a time of worship. We thank you just for a time of teaching, Lord, just to be strengthened in our understanding of who you are and what you're calling us to. And we thank you, Father, that not by any work of our own, that, Father, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, but by the work and the love of Jesus Christ, who came and paid sin's penalty for us, that you have offered a way, Lord God, that all who repent and simply fall down and trust themselves to you, all who believe and are willing to be baptized and begin that process of obedience will be saved. And so we thank you for the work that you and only you have done and could do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.